Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Well, hello there, everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of Between the Links on MMAfighting.com. My name is Mike Heck, your host, your moderator, and apparently the worst judge of all time. But we're back with another battle amongst the media discussing some of the biggest storylines in the wild and wacky sport of mixed martial arts. And as always, there's a lot of stories. So let us introduce the combatants. First, the challenger. We're going back up north to Canada for the third time in four episodes. You know this man from his incredible work over at The Score. The great James Lynch joins us on BTL. James, welcome back. How are you, sir? I am awesome, Mike. Thanks for joining me. Glad to see I can carry the uh, the Canadian flag uh, forward here on the show. There we go. And introducing the reigning, defending BTL champion, a man that many believe should not have gotten the nod against Aaron Bronsetter last week, but he's back to defend his crown once again. This time, he's as fresh as a daisy without having to travel to Las Vegas. From MMAfighting.com, Mr. Jose Youngs, how are you, sir? Casey, where's my championship graphic? I demanded a title in my name. I want it. I earned it. I'm 2-0. I don't care about this whole, he lost, he's blah, blah, blah. Don't care. Don't care. Everyone, would, some, someone named A.K. Lee said I was the Diego Sanchez of Between the Lanes, which would be true. Hall of Famer, has a lot of records, has a lot of big wins, fought for a championship. I actually won a championship. I'm 2-0. In championship bout, so I'm not the Diego Sanchez of MMA. I'm actually who do you want? Call me the Israel Adesanya of of between the links. I'm undefeated, and I have the championship belt. So come up with a better thing. I'm glad to have another Canadian free healthcare. So after I beat another Canadian up, you can go get fixed up for free. Unlike me, well, we'll leave this this game unscathed anyway. Wow, look at this. We are <laughs> we are we are, we are firing bullets right off the bat. But uh, real quick, here's how it works. If you're new to the show, there's gonna be four questions. These guys already know these questions. They're going to debate them. Points are going to get awarded based on how they present their argument based on the question that is asked. Doesn't matter if I agree with them or not. Of course, I could ask follow-up questions. And after four questions, if we have a winner, the show will come to an end. If we're tied after four questions, we will go to the knockout round. And the winner of that question will win the game, the bragging rights, and the coveted Between the Links Championship of the Universe. If Jose wins, he moves on to next week. If James wins... There's a lot of different scenarios that can happen. So let's just get right into this thing, gentlemen. UFC on ESPN 11 went down this past weekend at the Apex. And in the main event, Curtis Blades defeats Alexander Volkov via unanimous decision. And one of the important lessons that newer fans need to learn, because I've seen this a lot, is that not every fight is going to be a barn burner. And for the fighters themselves, getting the win and picking up that second paycheck, that's more important than having an all-time classic that that we'll talk about for years to come. Curtis Blades gets the win. It wasn't the most exciting performance of all time. Of course, Dana White at the press conference had some things to say about it. I'm pulling it up right now. And he said, quote, I like Curtis Blades, but Curtis Blades has the wrong attitude. As far as I'm concerned, I don't have anything against the kid at all. When you talk S like he talked this week, you better come in and whoop somebody's ass when you talk S like that. When you talk the S that he talked and perform like you performed tonight, you look stupid. James, you won the toss this week. You'll start us off. Is Dana White's criticism of Curtis Blades fair in your opinion? 
It's not. I don't get this. I really don't. I was watching the press conference. I understand the performance was not a finish. It wasn't the dominant win that Curtis Blades had alluded to during the week. But where is this trash talk coming from? Is he sure he's talking about Curtis Blades? I've seen a tweet where he talked about potentially, uh, you know, dominating Alexander Volkov on Saturday. But where is this trash talk that he's talking about? He made it sound like Curtis Blades was Colby Covington uh, causing a ruckus heading into this matchup. Sure, Curtis didn't finish the fight. Sure, it could have been a little bit more entertaining. But Alexander Volkov is a tough guy to finish. We're talking about a guy that was finished at the very last minute by Derek. Lewis. That's his only finish and his only loss in the UFC. So I'm not really sure what he was expecting Curtis Blades to do. I thought Blades put on a very smart performance. He used his wrestling, but he also stood and traded with Alexander Volkov as well. So I thought the fight was fine. I don't know where he's talking about this whole trash talk thing with Blades. Like, have you watched a Curtis Blades interview? The guy's soft-spoken. He's not out there, you know, demanding that he uh, get a title shot or anything like that. He's just he's saying, look, I wanted to go out there and dominate Volkov. It didn't happen, but I don't agree with the White's assessment of saying that he was talking all the smack and that the fight was bad. I personally enjoyed the fight. I might be in the minority here, but I don't get where Dana is coming from on this one. I think he uh, needed a little bit more sleep on that night on uh, Saturday. Jose, what say you? Uh, I I agree with James uh, in the sense that uh, I don't think it was fair considering, remember that tweet Curtis Blades did put out. He's like, for those of you that want to like rock him, sock him and swing haymakers, this is not going to happen. I'm just going to dominate this man. And you all are thinking it's going to be super boring. So uh, it's like saying some someone saying, hey, I'm going to give you a red T-shirt and then they give you a red T-shirt and you're like, how come this isn't green? And you're like, well, I warned you four days ago. This is going to be red. It's he told us how it was going to happen. He did that. And then Dana White gets upset. But I, I it's not fair, but I'm not surprised because he's done this a million times in the past. Like, remember when at UFC 169, when Overeem fought Frank Mir, Overeem was on like this losing streak. He's coming up. First, he got popped and then he lost to Bigfoot and then he lost Travis Brown. And then he has to go out there and fight Frank Mir. He has this huge contract and he just goes out there and does stuff enough to win. He doesn't just go out there and crush him. He just does enough to win and then uh, calls out Brock Lesnar after uh, for a return fight. And Dana White's like, yeah, you talk a lot for a guy you put on that performance. So, no, uh, this does not surprise me whatsoever. But even not even just Dana White, just promoters in general say stuff like this all the time. So, no, not fair, uh, but nothing new from Dana White. We talked a little bit on it about it before. I'm sure we're going to talk about it uh, later on. Uh, he gave another fighter. He's like, there's no shame in doing X, Y, Z. But then he goes out there and rinses his main event winner because it's a heavyweight. And, you know, Dana White doesn't like heavyweight fights that go to decision. Uh, so, no, doesn't surprise me. Or, I mean, yeah, it doesn't surprise me, but it's 100 percent not fair. And I think a big part of it, too, is that we're getting that WrestleMania 18 feeling again. We got Hogan Rock in the, in the co-main event. They stole the show. They tore the house down. The fans are all into it. And then it doesn't matter what happens in the main event, like short of Curtis Blades doing a flying triple moonsault kick to knock out Alexander Volkov. It's going to get it's just not the same after we saw a war for 15 minutes. And look, Curtis won the fight. That's the goal. I can say this. I had casual MMA fans texting me on Saturday night before that main event started, and they expected Curtis to go in there and just ragdoll and finish Alexander Volkov. He didn't. Things got a little hairy down the stretch, and there can't be anyone on this planet who felt that Alexander Volkov won that fight. But the performance was what it was, and that leads us back to you, Jose. We talked about this on the post-fight show on Saturday night. Did the overall stock of Curtis Blades improve with that win, in your opinion? Did we learn anything new? Uh, I think Curtis Blade. The only thing we learned is exactly what Curtis Blade said. Uh, he now knows he can go five rounds. Uh, he. We already knew his wrestling pedigree. We already knew he could fight 
the best stand-up wrestlers and our stand-up fighters. Like he, he's knocked out JDS. He's finished Overeem. Uh, he's pretty much beaten everyone not named Francis and Gano that they've put in front of him. Uh, so uh, the performance wasn't a surprise. Uh, how he won what should not be a surprise considering he told us how he was going to win. Uh, so the only thing we learned is exactly what Curtis Blade says. He goes, now I know it can go five rounds, which uh, as a fighter, you, especially in heavyweight, because if you're a heavyweight contender, especially in his placement where you're probably not going to fight for a title with France and Ghana sitting there, especially because you're 0-2, you're going to need a lot of main event fighters coming up. I mean, I think Alistair Overeem is kind of in that same boat where he's always going to be in the main or co-main event based off of his name and ranking. Uh, so just the fact that he knows he can go five rounds is something I'm sure he's happy to uh, – I know he's happy to have proven. James, what do you think? From where Curtis stood heading into that fight – to where he stands now. Is there a, a vast jump, so to speak? There were improvements made, but just hold on one second. Jose actually kind of veered off from the first question. I don't know if he can get DQ'd for that because he was asked if he was fair and he kept going on, was he surprised? Was he surprised? That wasn't your question. So I just want to point that out before I answer this next question. My name's here. also so Jose. I'm not Brazilian. Okay, well, there you go. There you go. So I, I, we're, we're both 0 for 2 on this one. But, uh, no, of course, Curtis Blade showed improvement. Look, here's the thing. Is it is it a case of Francis Nagano is his kryptonite? Yeah, it looks that way so far. But is Curtis Blades actually a good heavyweight? He actually is. He beat JDS earlier this year. There were some questions about that. If he couldn't get the takedown, if he could knock out JDS, he passed that. He ended up knocking out JDS. With Volkov, it was a case if he couldn't finish him, but Volkov only has one loss, like I mentioned, at heavyweight. The fact that he went out there and went the five rounds and showed that he can go five rounds. Yes, he was tired, but, I mean, they're heavyweights. We don't see a lot of heavyweights very fresh going into the fifth round. So I thought from that perspective of Blades getting the five-round experience and also uh, just you know going in there and showing that he's got some heart. I mean, some heavyweights would tire out and, and not be as good. I, I think, you know, the two things, number one is that he showed off his cardio in the fight and showed that he can go five rounds. And two is that he beat someone other than, uh, you know, some of the guys that we're used to seeing him beat because this wasn't an, he, he won the fight, but it wasn't necessarily easy. It was, it was a, you know, five round war as far as that went. So I think he gained a lot from this and I think his talk went up to answer the question. He's in an interesting position right now, as both of you gentlemen alluded to. You got the title fight coming up between Steve A and DC on August 15th. France and Ghana clearly the next man up. So it seems that the best thing that can happen to Curtis Blades right now is that the title gets vacated after August 15th, based on whether DC retires or maybe even Steve A Miacic retiring. Although we have no idea if the latter is actually a thing or not, but there are rumors circulating that, that could be the case. So Curtis Blades, as of right now, he's got to be the biggest Daniel Cormier fan on the planet, is he not, James? I, I think there's a possibility he could fight someone else that's not involved in the title picture here. I don't know why the UFC booked the Derek Lewis and Alexi Olenek fight like on Wednesday before the fight on Saturday. What are you thinking? Why would they not do Derek Lewis and, and Curtis Blades next? It's a fresh matchup. It's one big name there for Curtis Blades. Yes, you could argue that Blades has done enough to fight for the title, but I don't think anyone's in a rush to see him fight Francis Ngannou again. He needs another fight or two, in my opinion. Derek Lewis was that fight. Maybe he fights the winner of that fight between Olenek and uh, Derek Lewis, although the Olenek fight would be a rematch. But I think in general... Um, they, they should have waited to, to book Derek Lewis. I think that was the fight to do. There's already some history there. Uh, you know, Blades going after Lewis for his win at UFC 244. Why did they not uh, make that fight? Uh, so I think that could still be a possibility. I don't see him fighting for the title, even if it is vacant. I think they would give him one more. Agree or disagree, Jose? Uh, that he will fight, that he, well, he's going to have to have another fight, especially if that title's in August and Francis is waiting in the wings. Like if Stipe wins uh, and doesn't retire, uh, I'm sure they'll do, like they got to do, or if Stipe wins and doesn't retire, that the France is there. And even if DC wins and then he retires and vacates, I would still imagine they would do Stipe Francis too. So regardless if Stipe doesn't retire, they'll just do uh, another title fight for him. 
I agree 100% with James. I do not understand the timing of that booking. Uh, I like Ben Rothwell called out Alexi Olenek after his win in Jacksonville, and I was like, yeah, I really like that fight. Like two uh, grapplers uh, who who are like Alexi Olenek wants quote big names. Uh, ben Rothwell is not a massive name, but he's still he's been in fight, fighting. At, he fought like Travis Fulton twice. He fought like. Tim Sylvia, like his third ever professional fight. So uh, I really liked the Rothwell Olenek. And then I agree. I agree. It should have been Derek Lewis versus um, Curtis Blaze. I said that when Aaron Bronstad was sitting opposite me on this show. Uh, and it seemed to be it's not because I thought that Curtis Blades doesn't deserve the title shot, but because of his process of elimination. And he's just in that weird 0 and 2 uh, category against the number one contender. So does he fight next again soon? Yes. Maybe they keep fights Ben Rothwell, though. That's a step down in terms of rankings. I just I agree with James. The timing of that Olenek Derek Lewis fight is just baffling to me. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're in a position where if that title does get vacated, there's no other fight to make. Like, it's not the, like you uh, can bump another. The only other up. thing I, I would say is if Gustafson just goes out there and destroys Verdum and then they're like, well, Gustafson's a big name. You want to fight him? But again, like, that's a big if. Uh, so, yeah, that's but. That's an, we ha- that fight has to happen first. Yep. Future matchmaking can't really do it right now. We'll see what happens with the heavyweight division. Point goes to Senor James Lynch to get us started as we go from the main event of Saturday night's card to the opening fight of Saturday's card. Austin Hubbard gets a second-round TKO win over newcomer Max Roshkoff after Max told his coach Robert Drysdale after the second round that he was done. Now, Robert tried to talk him into continuing on. Max was asked by the referee if he wanted to continue. He said no. And this has probably become the biggest story to come out of Saturday night's event. There's talks of the Nevada Athletic Commission, you know, investigating this situation, the corner work specifically, and Robert Drysdale is taking a beating on this. But he did tell our own Guillermo Cruz on Saturday that he felt he made the right decision. Jose, there is a lot to unpack here. There's pieces I probably have left out of that whole entire blabbing I just did. But what was your biggest takeaway following that fight between Austin Hubbard and, and Max Roshkoff? Oh, well, I'm not going to try and pretend I know more about Max than Robert Drysdale. Robert Drysdale is a legend in coaching and MMA and all that stuff. I'm going to speak solely on like from my perspective. If you have a fighter that says, I'm done, that's it in my, my mind, like, just like, there's nothing like, what else do you need to know? Like, yes, you might see your fighter saying like Robert Drysdale was like, Oh, he was just tired. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter if your fighter doesn't want to fight. Don't put him out there to get to like, so what if he's tired and he goes, I'm too tired to fight. Don't let him take more damage if he doesn't want to be in there. I mean, uh, we've talked, we've sung the praise of Trevor Whitman for years on being one of the best coaches, uh, in that. And I remember when Nate Markhart fought, um, uh, Kelvin Gasol in Mexico, uh, Mark Hart walks back and goes, I'm like, I got nothing. I'm done. And that was it. Whitman was like, he's done. That's a wrap. Like he didn't even try and talk. Like, are you sure? The second he heard that, that was a wrap. And I, uh, uh, Duke Rufus, same thing. Anthony Pettis breaks his hand. That's it. He doesn't want to put his fighter out there to get a embarrassed more or, uh, more injured. So from my perspective, not I'm not a coach, but if I, if I if I ever was and I see a fighter saying I can't do this anymore, especially on the stool, that's it. Call the fight. Uh, I saw Andre Feely kind of go out there and say um, it's up to the coaches to push you past that limit, push you push push you past what you what you think you can do. And yeah, that's 100 percent true in training camp, but not in a fight when you take this fight on short notice. You're five and zero. You've already been beaten badly uh, for a while. 
should have just stopped the fight. Uh, and this probably wouldn't be as big of a story as it was. We probably would have been seeing the praises of Drysdale if he stopped the fight after that. So from my perspective, should have stopped the fight as soon as the first time is coach. How many times do you say like eight or nine times shouldn't have gone that far once is enough. It's interesting because we talked about this on Saturday night after the event was over where I was watching it. I don't know if it's because of my provider or whatnot, but I didn't get to see that conversation between the second and third rounds. They flash back basically when they were about to start the third round and we caught, I caught like the last 30 seconds of the conversation and then Max saying he was done. So I missed any other conversation that happened prior to that. What about you, James? Like what was your biggest takeaway from that moment and how the fight actually ended? I'm taking sort of a different angle on this. I think uh, the biggest takeaway for me was that I think the culture is changing in MMA. Uh, here we have a young guy, an up-and-comer, who's basically said, I can't fight. I mean, how often do you hear that in a fight? Usually it's the coach who has to you know, look at the fighter and say, look, you, you can't go on. But I actually want to give credit to Max here because I think this could be a change in MMA and how we see things going forward. How many times do we see fights that go on too long when the fighter doesn't know, uh, you know, know better in terms of you know, wanting to continue in a fight? And you know, Robert Drysdale has a very difficult position because there are situations with coaches where you need to tell your fighter to push on. You know, we had, like uh, Jose mentioned, you know, the, the Andre Feely uh, thing. And then we have other people like Dan Hooker or, you know, making fun of Max uh, for, for quitting in the fight. But realistically, I think, uh, you know, this is kind of a sign of maybe things to come where you're going to see fighters being a little bit more smart about what type of damage they're looking to take. I mean, had Max gone out there and fought again, who knows how long that would be setting back his career if he, you know, suffers some unnecessary damage that he didn't need to take. And we had a situation like this weeks ago with Anthony Smith fighting Glover Teixeira where, I mean, everyone wanted that fight to be stopped, not just the referee, but people wanted the coaches to step in. And obviously Smith was, you know, his, he's very prideful. He obviously wanted to continue. So I think my biggest takeaway is that we're seeing fighters come to that conclusion now where they know that it's not really worth it. If they can't go out there and do it, why risk the rest of your career and potentially taking some long-term damage? So that was my biggest takeaway because as far as being a coach uh, and being a fighter, it's a gray area. Now, the blame game has taken so many different twists and turns. Like Dana White surprisingly seems to have Max's back in this scenario, but the blame has been passed from Max to Drysdale, even Max's manager, Brian Butler, is taking a little bit of a hit because he knew there was an injury prior to the fight being signed on for. So, Mr. Lynch, if you could, like, throw some percentages here on who ultimately gets the blame, in your opinion, how does that all play out for you? Yeah, that's a tough one. So, I mean, in terms of the, the actual call itself, I mean, the blame has to go, obviously, most of it has to go to Robert Drysdale because he wasn't listening to his corner. So, I mean, we got to go maybe 50, 60% as far as that goes. Your manager, I mean, if you know someone has an injury and they're not they're not good to go, they're not ready to fight, he's got to take probably another 30%. And then the 10% um, is, is got to go towards, uh, you know, the UFC as well. I mean, they have a job of getting fighters on the cards, but I mean, we talked about this, uh, you know, in terms of heading into the fight. I mean, Max only had five fights. That's not a lot. That's a contender series call up. That's not a UFC call. Up. And we're seeing that happen far too often where fighters are getting into the UFC and they're not ready. And I was very surprised to see Max as a favorite heading into the fight when you got a guy in Austin Hubbard who has way more fights than he does. So I think uh, that's sort of where I would put the blame. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the coach for not listening after like the eighth time that your fighter wants to quit. I mean, there's one thing for a fighter to say, I'm going to quit and the you know coach kind of motivates them. But I mean, he was very clear that he did not want to fight. So it falls on him. It falls on the manager. If he knew there was an injury and maybe he wasn't ready, there'll be other opportunities. I mean, fighters are getting signed all the time. So it does fall on the manager. And then, like I said, the least amount would probably go to the UFC, but they have a job to fill up cards. So you can't really fault them too much. 
to sort of add to that, Jose, with these events coming together so quickly, we got fights falling out at the last minute. We're seeing fighters, like James said, get these opportunities. I mean, it worked out for Justin James, obviously, but he's got a ton of experience and the call was long overdue, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many others. And we've seen guys come in on short notice with five or less fights over the last couple of weeks. One got brutally knocked out by Tyson Nam, and the other was Max on Saturday. So do you think that the UFC will be much more careful bringing in these guys who are pretty green on the professional scene moving forward? Or is it just, you know what, we get to fill spots and whoever's ready, we're, we're sliding them in there. I think we're going to see a little bit of a change for a few reasons. Uh, uh, one factor is Fight Island is coming up, so you're going to open a whole new flood floodgate of international fighters that won't weren't able to fight in the United States because they couldn't get in or they couldn't get back out, uh, whatever the situation was. So that will open up a whole lot. The second is uh, if the Contender Series comes back in August, I'm sure they're going to want to put, like James said, you're 5-0. and oh, That's the Contender Series record right there. Like you win in the Contender Series impressively, then Dana White could give you a contract. Uh, or you could be Brandon Lochtane and have all the all the experience in the world and still not get it. But that's that's another conversation for another time. Um, so I think with the, the aspect of a new crop of fighters being available to, to make fights, uh, the Contender Series uh, starting up in August, uh, I think the UFC is going to be a little more selective. Like if someone's 5-0 and oh, and they want to throw him against Austin Hubbard, who like I – I couldn't believe Austin Hubbard was the underdog. I mean, he just came off a loss to Mark Madsen, but he didn't look like bad in that fight. He was actually piecing him up kind of near the end. Yes, Mark Madsen was hurt in that, but if you look semi-competitive against like an Olympic caliber uh, athlete, uh, you should not be an underdog against someone that's five and zero. So, Yaz Island opening up new crop of fighters. The UFC maybe wanting to save some of these lower experienced fighters for the contender series that's supposedly going to relaunch uh in august uh so i think that is going to play a factor in the ufc being more selective not so much in the fact that like oh i don't want to give this three no guy a shot against a veteran because i don't think that's how the ufc operates james said it himself they need they need they need fights if they need a fight they're going to book it i i think at the end they, they don't really care uh who is in there i think it's a business uh, it would be a business decision to save people for the contender series. And now they have more fighters to choose from in Yaz Island. James, do we see Max again in the UFC or is he going to have to go back on the regional scene or maybe do a contender series fight? Have we seen at least for the foreseeable future, the last of him in the UFC? I think he'll get another fight. I think they'll be very selective of who he's matched up against, kind of like what they tried to do with Chase Hooper anyways and giving him Alex Caceres, kind of the slow build, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I mean, like like Jose said, I think no matter what, they're going to continue to, uh, you know, they have to do these cards. They have to fill up the fights. These Fight Island cards, uh, they're not going to uh, have any of these, you know, uh, contender series guys on the cards because it's just going to be too logistically hard to do that. They're going to have more UFC fighters on standby to actually step in there and fight because a lot of these fighters, that's why you're seeing them get quick turnarounds. They have to fulfill their contract obligations of giving them a certain amount of fights. So I think you'll, you'll see that going forward. But yeah, I, th I think Max will get another fight. Um, I, I think uh, I think they'll give him plenty of notice and they, they'll be careful with this because this is kind of blowing up in terms of, um, uh, you know, the, the whole the whole situation. So I think it would look bad if they just cut him off of this. Then they'd say, oh, well, you know, I guess the UFC's not being fair to him. So I think he'll get another cut just because it seemed like everyone was on Max's side in this. What do you think, Jose? Yeah, he's going to he'll have at least one more fight, especially because I'm sure all of us, when that fight happened, we assumed Dana White was going to just rinse him in that post-fight press conference because we've seen Dana White rinse a lot of people for a lot less. Uh, and we've seen, like, uh, I can't remember his name, who was the the fighter on The Ultimate Fighter with the big afro that quit on the stool. And he, he was on Tito Ortiz's team and he even got put Jamie into the Jamie Yeager? Ambulance. 
Jamie Yeager, like Dana White, like everyone was like questioning his toughness and man manhood after quitting on the stool. Uh, I that is the Dana White I expected. The fact that Dana White said there's no shame in it was so unexpected that now I am expecting the unexpected. So in the past, I'd be like, that's it. He's never fighting again. He's never going to fight in the UFC ever again. But now after hearing Dana White say that, I have to think the opposite is going to happen. If worst case, I bet he gets a contender series fight. Maybe because he took a fight on such short notice. The UFC is like, thank you for at least saving this uh, fight for Austin Hubbard. We'll give you one more shot in either contender series or, uh, another shot in the UFC. But uh, again, it was, it's a, it's a weird, it was a weird situation that I wasn't, I didn't expect to be talking about Dana White praising a fighter for quitting on the stool. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's kind of a strange thing to talk about, but here we are. Jose evens up the, the score one to one heading into the third question. As we move ahead to another impressive victory from Saturday night, we go from newcomer to Wiley veteran. Jim Miller makes his 35th appearance for the UFC against the highly touted Roosevelt Roberts. He was a two to one underdog coming into the fight. He gets a quick submission. The guy is just unbelievable. He has no signs of slowing down. He said he wants to fight at UFC 300 at this point. What a victory it was for a 10 James. We're going to start with you on this one. Jim Miller is going to say yes to anybody the UFC offers him at this point. But after taking out a guy that a lot of people were very high on in just over two minutes, what do you do with Jim Miller? You continue to build him up. He's winning fights. What is it? Three of his last four. I mean, obviously the UFC wanted Roberts to win. He's the prospect. He's the guy they were trying to build up here, but Jim Miller spoiled that party. He's got to fight a top 15 guy. In my opinion, he continues to win like this. You've got Benil Darius. You've got Drew Dober. You got Islam Makashev. I mean, those are all fights I would want to see Jim Miller take part in because let's see if he can go on this run. You know, there's a lot of nostalgia when it comes to MMA. How happy was everyone when Robbie Lawler came back to the UFC? knocked out Josh Koscheck and became sort of this pleasant surprise. I think Miller sort of has a similar uh, path at this point, and I think you got to continue to build him up and make him the name because everyone wants to watch him fight. He's exciting. He can submit anyone, it seems. And you look at his losses. I mean, it's really tough to say that he's past his prime at this point when he's beating guys that he's not supposed to beat, and he's losing the top guys like Dan Hooker and Charles Oliveira. I think the Holtzman fight he would have liked back, but I think in general he's looked pretty good. So I could see the UFC continuing to put him in exciting fights and uh, you know putting him, seeing how far he can go at, at his age because Clearly, age is not a number for him. Jose, James thinks top 15 makes a lot of sense. Do you think top 15 makes a lot of sense? And if not, where do you I put mean, Jim Miller after that? I don't even view James uh, Jim Miller as like a guy you need to make sense with just because he'll say yes to anyone. So if the UFC was like, hey, we want you to fight Tony Ferguson, I'll be like, yeah, I'll watch Tony Ferguson fight Jim Miller all day. But if they're like, hey, we want you to fight Benil Darius, I'm like, yeah, that fight rules too. Like, Jim Miller is such an anomaly where you can insert him into a prospect fight or a vet fight or a guy that's in his prime, and it would just make sense because he even he him. How many fighters do we know say I want to be a gatekeeper? That's what he said in Milwaukee. He's like, I got no problem being the gatekeeper because he just wants to fight, and if that means more fights for him, then so be it. Uh, it's. I'm not going to try to make sense of Jim Miller's career because anyone that's taken 30 walks to the octagon is already an anomaly just on uh, the health and like longevity of their body, especially cutting down to 155. It's not like he's the like the smallest or biggest dude. I think 155 is perfect for him. Um, I don't. Re- I like the Benil Darius fight. Uh, those are two guys that don't need to do a lot of talking. They just go in there and have a great performance. Benil Darius is just just decimated uh dracar close in his last fight and that was an unbelievable performance uh i didn't even think about that fight until james said so yeah 
I like that fight. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is in the lightweight division. There's so many. Again, I'm not going to try it and tell with Jim Miller what to do. Jim Miller probably doesn't know who the UFC is. <laughs> UFC's going to be like, hey, you want to fight anybody? And he goes, yeah, okay. And then that's a little fight. So, yeah, I don't care. Jim Miller can fight whoever. Top 15 sounds good to me. I actually disagree with both of you. I think I think I don't think he's it's far fetched. Like if they did it, I wouldn't complain about it. But he should st- certainly like stick around. I guess like on the same level of opponent because I, I would say Roosevelt Roberts was probably top twenty five in that neck of the woods at one fifty five coming off the win over Brock Weaver. But if he starts going on a run at the stage in his career, that's pretty awesome. So my thought was, and this has nothing really to do with the points or anything. Jim Miller versus Alexander Hernandez. You got two guys, which way are they going to go? Which direction are they going to go? Who's going to make that leap back up towards the top 15? I think kind of where they're at in their careers, I think that's kind of a perfect matchup. Can Alexander Hernandez get back to the top 15? Or is Jim Miller really a top 15 guy? Am I crazy, Jose? No, but again, like, I don't, like, I'll watch Jim Miller fight anybody. (laughs) And I'm going to be excited for like the if they tomorrow, if they're like, hey, Alexander Hernandez versus Jim Miller on the UFC 242 card, be like, yeah, that makes 100 percent sense because of what you said. But at some point, if you keep winning, you need to step up in competition. If you've won three or four and the only people you're losing to are like what Hooker, Poirier, uh, the Francisco Trinaldo. And yes, the Holtzman one happened. But I think something where was Jim Miller going in the fight? Holtzman is no slouch uh, regardless. So it's not like you can just push him. Like you can't look at the Holtzman losing to Holtzman and be like, oh, that's an anomaly. Holtzman's a good damn fighter. But again, if they turn around, go uh, Jim Miller versus Gregor Gillespie or Islam Makhachev or uh, Drew Dober, like awesome. Jim Miller versus any of those guys I'll watch. So uh, I, I don't disagree, but I don't agree because – there's no real, like, if you have 30 fights, there's no right answer to who to fight. You make you can you can choose <laughs> who and not to fight. It's your right. Like Cowboys the same way. Like Cowboy versus Alexander Hernandez was an awesome fight. But if they gave him a different answer, be like, great, it's Cowboy. I don't care who he fights. Same thing with Jim Miller. Jim Miller versus Darius. That's your that's your A one, James or. Is there another yeah, one? I'll go with that. I, I understand the Hernandez booking. It's kind of like who 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 do we invest in more going forward? Like if Hernandez loses that, obviously he's, you know he probably get cut or at least be close to it. Um, but then if you have like you know Miller fighting someone like Darius, at least it's kind of two guys that are still kind of working their way up. So uh, so I like Jose said, I you, you can't go wrong with either. Uh, with any any Jim Miller fight is going to be a great fight. All right, James Lynch takes the lead, two to one. Hell of a question. As we head to the final question of regulation, it's a big one. Let's look ahead to this Saturday night. The UFC is back once again at the Apex. Interesting card for sure. Co-main event, we got Mickey Gall versus Mike Perry. And in the main event, a huge fight at 155 between the former interim lightweight champion, Dustin Poirier, and he takes on the surging Dan Hooker, who we just talked about a couple different times in the last question. Jose, we're going to start with you on this one. The lightweight division, I feel like whatever show we've done over the last like three years, we talk about just how loaded lightweight is. It's been like that for a long time. We got Habib Nurmagomedov as the champion. Justin Gaethje is the interim champion after he beat Tony Ferguson. And it looks like in September, those two are going to unify the title. And in a division like this one, it's how can we, how can we create the next title contender? Like how can we shape these things for the future? And I know it's very hard to do. These are two of the very best guys at 155 pounds, getting ready to lock horns on Saturday night. So if you are the UFC looking at this fight from a business sense, would it be more beneficial for the promotion in this division for Dustin Poirier to win or for Dan Hooker to win on Saturday night and why? Um, hmm, like in terms of a business sense, 
I would imagine they would want the New Zealander who trains in city kickboxing, whose teammates are already champions. I would imagine in a business sense, especially in a market that has been so lucrative. And yes, I understand they can't go to that market for a while, but they need stars, especially if they're going to hold a lot of events in Yaz Island for internet. And they're, they're going to need, like if Dana White's saying like they want to go back and forth between Vegas and Yaz Island, they're going to need headliners, uh, especially international headliners, especially from a market that even John Jones has circled. I mean, I was back when I leading into UFC 247. He's like, I would love to fight in Australia because even the champions know where the the good business is, and it is Australia right now. Like Israel Adesanya, Alexander Volkanovsky, Dan Hooker, like City Kickbox. Like me and Jay, the three of us, were in Boston talked about. We were we were eating dinner, and we were like, "What is the next gym to have multiple champions?" And I was like, "Probably City Kickboxing. It's going to be either be Hooker or Volkanovsky." And all of us were like. Yeah, I just don't know if Volkanovski can beat Max Holloway or can Dan Hooker beat Habib or Tony Ferguson and stuff. But now that is a reality. They have two champions. If they get a third one that can fight for an, uh, like they can that can fight for another championship, it's like that AKA that 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 era of AKA that had like Rockled, Habib, uh, DC, Kane. Like that was where everyone wanted to go. That's where all the money was. So, if you're asking business sense. It's definitely Dan Hooker because they they need that market and they they would love to have like a gym with just like three hyper marketable stars from that part of the world. Um, if Dustin Poirier wins, he's already lost to Habib badly. It's not like he 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 looked overly competitive outside of that guillotine that even Habib gave credit to, and he knocked Justin Gaethje dead in one of the best fights I've ever seen. I was actually at that fight, uh, and that fight was absolutely awesome. But that was a different Justin Gaethje. I was at UFC 249, and even I heard Trevor Whitman say, "Remember the last time you got comfortable? What happened?" He goes, "I got knocked out." twice that was eddie alvarez is justin gaethje if they want to do if gaethje wins and they want to do poirier gaethje too which i've always wanted to see wouldn't hate it but it's not as good of a business if dan hooker wins so i'm assuming the ufc would want uh dan hooker to win but again i just really i freaking love this fight so much someone is getting cut up or someone's going to sleep like this fight absolutely this is a violent chess match and i can't wait for it James, what do you think? If the, you know the UFC is never going to come out and say it, but what's <laughs> and to throw out a WWE term, what's best for business? Poirier winning or Hooker winning? It's absolutely Dan Hooker. What would uh, Jose said? I mean, a, a lot of it really comes down to uh, you know where they're going uh, forward in terms of cards. I mean, they, they seem to be uh, all about Australia and New Zealand these days. Dan Hooker headlined a card earlier this year against Paul Felder. They're very much on the Dan Hooker train, and you know you see Volkanovski, you see Asanya. They're really pushing them as well. So it makes a lot more sense. Plus, there's fresh matchups if uh, Hooker wins this fight. He hasn't fought any of those guys at the top. This is his the biggest name he's fought so far in the UFC. And if Poirier wins, you only really have the Gaethje fight. Yes they could do the Connor fight, but I doubt Connor's going to fight anyone outside of a title or anything like that. So uh, really your options are much more limited if Poirier wins. And not just that, but Poirier lost last year. It's not like he lost a couple of years to go to Habib. No one wants to see that rematch right away. And like, uh, like, you know, it's sort of been alluded to that he, you know, he got dominated in that fight with Habib. So I, I don't think there's any rush to do that. Here's another scenario that we could sort of put out here too. If Dan Hooker wins, 
Is this maybe the end of Dustin Poirier at lightweight if he loses here on Saturday? That'll be back-to-back losses. I know lightweight is, you know, he, he had some good wins. He has a win over Justin Gaethje. But what about Dustin Poirier at welterweight? What about him and Colby Covington? How about that fight? That's a fight that could have some interest because of the fact that they both used to train together. Colby obviously left the gym in part because of Dustin Poirier. They don't get along. You could do that fight as well. So I see a lot more possibilities for Poirier um, if he ends up losing this fight and, you know, going forward, whether it's the welterweight division or being creative in the lightweight division. But really, they're all on Dan Hooker here. Uh, again, it's much easier for them to, you know, have a fan base where, you know, like in Hooker's case, it's New Zealand, Australia, than an American. It's just much easier for them to sell that. So they're trust me, they're on the Dan Hooker train. And I, I would I'm, you know, obviously they won't come out and say it, but they, they want Dan Hooker to win this fight. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting time because Poirier wins, like you guys both said, you know, he just fought for the undisputed title in September and he got finished by Habib. And there's no shame in that whatsoever. We got the Connor factor, which always looms, and it would be huge for Poirier if he wins and Gaethje beats Habib because Poirier already has that win over Gaethje. You got a story, and I love stories. But if Dan Hooker wins, like you guys said, you got a fresh matchup either way. And Dan has become like a must-follow on social media these days, so he would promote the crap out of a title fight or wherever's up next. So, but with that said, James, what I find super interesting about this fight. I don't know what you've seen, but there are not a lot of people giving Dan Hooker a chance to win this fight. Like, is he just flying under the radar here? Like, I don't know what you've seen, but like, even on the post fight show on Saturday, it is people thought it was laughable, laughable, almost inconceivable to say that Dan Hooker is going to be Dustin Poirier on Saturday night. Well, I've seen I've actually seen it being pretty close, to be honest. And I sort of gauge it just from uh, the YouTube comments I get on the pros picks videos. Like a lot of people are picking Dan Hooker. There's people out there who still think Dustin Poirier has a bad chin and that Dan Hooker is going to go out there and knock him out. So and not to mention Hooker's got a height and reach advantage in this fight. So I've seen a bit of both. The other concern, too, is that Poirier is coming off surgery. So, you know, how's he going to look in this fight? Um, it's really tough to say he's had a bit of a layoff where his Hooker fought back in February. So um, I see it as a very close fight. I don't think it's decisive for either guy going into the fight. I'm picking Poirier. But that's just with the belief that he'll be able to get in on the inside and work his striking a little bit. And he's better on the ground. So uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, no, I, I, I definitely I've seen a bit of both. I, I think there are a lot of people giving Hooker credit here. Jose, is this the best main event at the Apex so far? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. In terms of like competitiveness. Yeah, I would say so. Like anytime a man like the greatest of all time in anything fights like that's a big deal to watch. So like watching Amanda Nunes fight is always a, a treat. Uh, watching Gilbert Burns like emerge is now the number one contender is always a treat. But yeah, in terms of just like I gauge interest in a fight, like I don't care if this is in a 70,000 seat arena or if they're just sparring, I want to watch this fight. And there's been a few of those fights that have happened. Like, like when Korean zombie fought Yari Rodriguez or like Brian Ortega fought Max Holloway or, or, or any of those kind of fights. I'm like, I don't care what the stakes are. I just want to watch an insane high level martial arts competition. I kind of, that's what I view in this. Like you, you said it yourself, Ben Hooker is uh, a must follow on social media. He's going to sell the crap out of any fight, but he doesn't have to like, this is a violent fight and people want to be entertained. Like this is going to be the last apex card probably until August. What a show to end on is Dan Hooker. It doesn't pour you. If this was the only fight of the entire card, I wouldn't care. Like this fight absolutely rules uh so yeah i the i, I uh, to answer what J- what james said it's 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 i favor poirier but dan you can't count out anyone in lightweight especially dan hooker yeah that's a great fight i'm really looking forward to it i'm really looking forward to this knockout question as the point goes to jose youngs we have one question to decide it all 
in the truck, aka E. Casey Lydon, is standing by to listen to the answers, and he will take the heat off of me, which I love so much, and render the final decision. Neither of these guys have any clue where we're going with this. So, Jose, you are the reigning champion. Are you sticking to the Patriot way and kicking this one off? Punt. He's punting. So, James Lynch, let's go to you. You and I actually had this conversation a little bit on Saturday night on our Twitter DM. So, let's discuss Josh Emmett for a moment. He defeats Mm. Shane Burgos in a barn burner. It's a huge win for Josh. He's on to bigger and better things at 145 pounds. But after the win, he was very critical of the media. He said that we all overlooked him. He said things like, you know, everyone in the media said it's precision versus power. Well, you know what? power one tonight and that was such a gangster line especially the way he looked in the camera and, and other things but two part of here one is it fair for him to critique the media for giving their opinions on this fight since that is our job after all and two did you take it as such or is he a fighter like many others who are just looking for a chip on their shoulder uh, I, I don't have a problem with him criticizing the media. I think it, it must not be great to hear someone say that you're not going to win a fight or whatever. I understand that. I mean, it's I mean, there are fighters. They do punch each other in the face, but they do have feelings, too. Right. Like everyone. So I understand that. But <laughs> in general, um, no, I think. And, you know, it might be a thing, guys, that, that motivates him. It might be something where in his head, like Volkanovsky referenced uh, my pros pick video when he fought Holloway the first time, saying that all the fighters picked against him. Maybe he needed that to go in a second gear and beat Max Holloway. So it might be the same thing here for Emmett. Um, you know, he talked about when I when I spoke to him, he talked about, you know, how he's the dark horse in the t- this division. I think he likes being in this role. I think he likes being overlooked. I think he likes the fact that people aren't talking about him because he's had a layoff and because he's a little bit older. Um, I, I look at this as gamesmanship more than anything and a way for him to better himself. Because I think if he was the favorite and he won, we wouldn't get that awesome, uh, you know, promo, as they say in pro wrestling, after the fight. So um, I, I have no issue with it. I don't sit there and go, oh, is he talking about me? Like, even if he was, who cares? Like, it's, I get it. It's, this is the fight business. Anything goes. People's feelings are going to get hurt it is what it is what do you think jose i it's it's fair i mean if we if we critique someone it's only fair that if they win and have an unbelievable like a fight of the year like if that what if joanna wiley doesn't happen then like that's right up there for top contenders for fight of the year and that like we all said that i can't imagine any of the three of us we're like you know what's probably going to be a snoozer is josh emmett versus shane burgos like the word snoozer and those two names never should be in the same sentence um so if if is it fair? I don't think it's about fair unfair. If he if if that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. Who's going to argue with a man who just won a fight basically on one leg against a top contender? If you want to criticize whoever, go right on ahead, sir. Especially uh, that I agree with you that gangster line about how power won. Um, in terms of the chip on their shoulder, if that's what he has to do. If, if I am, I, I'm not a superstitious man whatsoever, or I don't have like rituals or need things to like get me out of bed, but like Bull Durham in that movie where he's like, whatever gets you in the frame of mind to be the best at what you do, do it. If that means you have to take 43 steps to the octagon every time, do it. If that means you have to lace up your left shoe first, do it. Like whatever gets you to be the best that you can do. I am 100% for if Josh Emmett needs to just punch a photo of me for 25 minutes because I picked against (laughs) him by all means, if AK Lee needs to punch a photo of me for 25 minutes just to get out of bed, by all means go for it because that means AK Lee's uh, uh, predictions are going to be that much better. I am all for whatever gets you through the door. So if that is Josh Emmett's thing, 
go on and keep hating us because you put like if you're winning fights on one leg and Shane Burgos, who am I to argue against it? James, one of the things I found fascinating about this whole situation was at his post-fight press conference. We're all like all the media members, are like, holy crap, Josh, that was a great fight, great performance. You got to be feeling good right now. He goes, man, I sucked. I didn't fight good. That was awful. Why? Why? Why would he say that? Is this just like a fight? I mean, you've talked to 10 million fighters at this point, James. Why do fighters do this? Why are they so self-critical? I, I think because at the end of the day, you're going to have fans that will criticize him anyways if he did say he had a good fight. So I think it's kind of a defense in a way from people criticizing him. And obviously he checks the comments because otherwise he wouldn't have made that comment about the media picking against him. So I think I think it's that. And I also think, you know, the psyche of a fighter, I can't get in that mindset. Obviously, I don't punch people in the face. So I think for us, uh, we have to remember that you really have to be a special type of person to be a fighter uh, in the sense you got to be a little bit crazy. I think kind of like covering the sport, too. you got to be a little bit crazy. It's not for everyone. So I think for the fighter uh, in Josh Emmett's case, I, I think it's just one of those things where he needs to do all these things in order to perform at a high level. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm not surprised to see the way he's acting because it, you always see fighters do weird stuff like this. And I think it's good to be your harshest, harshest critic because then you'll end up being better in the end. So all the power to Josh Emmett. And Shane Burgos, of course, Jose, what a performance from him. I'm not trying to take any shine off of you, Josh, if you're watching right now, you were, you were fantastic. <laughs> you're in line for a big fight. I think Josh I think would agree with Ziga. you that Shane yeah. had a really good fight too. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, there you go. Bald head, bald head, we respect each other. We're, we're both on the same page here. Shane Burgos is going to take a lot away from this fight. He's still very young. He's been active. He's an exciting guy to watch. He's a big prospect at 45 right now. I don't even know if we can call him a prospect anymore, but he's still kind of new to a lot of the casual fans at this point, but I think he gained a lot of traction. His stock rose despite a loss. What do you do with him? Ooh, in terms of matchmaking, I say I, this is one of those fights where you lose, but you you gain so many fans, and not just in the in terms of like the 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 people watching the fight, but like the UFC. Like we've talked, we've said this, like James and I have said this a hundred times that the UFC is going gung ho with these fight nights, and they're going back and forth. They're gonna need main and co-main events, especially if Dana White is so upset with Curtis Blades having the performance that he did. He's gonna want to rely on fighters he knows is just gonna be a, just going there as like a human buzzsaw. So, you know, Dana White loves these kind of fights, especially like, I remember when the Jamie Varner, able to heal fight happened. He was like, like he gave both of those guys, like all of the money in the world, just because it was an epic fight. So, uh, in terms of who you should fight, gosh, I have literally no idea. Maybe the loser, no, nah, maybe the loser of Ige and Cater. I know he already lost to Cater, but I also favor Cater against Dan Ige. So maybe this is just me assuming uh, Calvin Cater wins so he could fight Dan Ige. Uh, Edson Barbosa needs a fight. If he wants comes, if he wants to stick around at featherweight, or any of us going to say no to uh, Edson Barbosa versus Shane Burgos, that might be a little massive jump up, not in terms of ranks, but in terms of competition from, uh, again, nothing to take away from Josh, but Edson Bar, we, we're talking about Dan Hooker. Look what Edson Barbosa did to Dan Hooker. Like he's shown that just because you're on fire right now, he's still gonna, he's not gonna care. He's gonna put you through the ringer. Um, he's our uh, man. I have no idea. Arnold Allen needs a fight. Ryan Hall needs a fight. I don't think you give him Ryan Hall. Andre Feely wants to fight Bryce Mitchell. Frank Frank Yeager's not a featherweight anymore. So hmm, I'll say the loser of Cater and Ige because. Or James, were you at that Boston card when Cater fought Burgos? I was. We were all there. of you us referenced were saying, the dinner we had. So there yeah, you go. All, uh, all of us were talking about how this is a fight that will probably be a, a re the, the rematch will probably be a main event down the road, just because of how much we knew about those two guys. If they want to rematch Cater and Burgos now, I wouldn't complain. But I'm assuming Cater wins. So Ige versus 
Calvin Cater sounds fun to me. I mean, uh, Ige versus Shane Burgos sounds fun to me. James, what do you think, and why is the correct answer Shane Burgos versus Jeremy Stevens? Well, I was just going to say, you didn't even mention Stevens. He's a guy that I would have put in there as well. I know he's on a losing streak, but that, that fight makes a lot of sense. I actually like the Arnold Allen fight because of the fact that Allen really hasn't been pushed to the limit, and I think Burgos is that guy to do that, where he could really you know push the pace and test this guy. That's the one thing with Allen. He's getting some good wins, but he's winning by decision. Get him in a dogfight. Shane Burgos will give you a dogfight, so I'm I'm fine with that. Ryan Hall's got to fight someone, too. Uh, you know, Get him in there. How about Sadiq Youssef? Let's see the better up and comer is so to speak yusuf you know getting the win over andre feely uh let's see what he's made of uh, can you you know grind out a shane burgos so i don't think there's really any bad options here as far as that goes uh you could do one of the losers you could do barbosa but i think uh, burgos you know take a little bit of a step back fight someone a little bit ranked lower and uh see where you can go from here but i think the stevens fight would be great uh just because you know stevens has gotten more than enough opportunities if he can't beat shane burgos he probably shouldn't be in the ufc anymore yeah, and Josh Emmett versus the winner of Calvin Cater versus Danny Gay sounds great to me as well. So with that being said, we could talk about this fight for another hour, no doubt about it. We go to the truck. We go to the man himself, E. Casey Lydon. Who's the champ? Oh, this was close, guys. <laughs> this was close. I'm going to have to go up the half-point system here. And winning with a 10 in the final round, winning with a 10 to a nine and a half is and new James Lynch. James Lynch. James Lynch. I have to say, Jose, I was going Jose to say, said like, the terms. I have a feeling James is going to win this one because I forgot Jeremy Stevens, which is all fair to him. But I'm going to lose someone. At least I'm losing to someone that I'm really good friends. Not that I'm not friends with Aaron, <laughs> uh, so on and so forth. I'm going to tell but, him that. Uh, I like. I have no problem losing to James. Oh, Thank yeah. you. Wow. So now now we got to figure out what we do. Does does James come back next week and keep defending on? I mean, I know you're a very busy man or, you know, do we vacate the title and you're just like kind of the interim champ who could just slide in anytime he wants? It's kind of like money in the bank right now. It's like Connor, anytime to does, cash it in with it here until the next episode. Anytime, right. anywhere. You guys need me. I'll, I'll be available. I'm, it's like the hardcore title, Mike. You like wrestling references. <laughs> come get me anytime. Wake me up in the middle of the night. Let's do this. I love it. All right. So next week, I think we can make this happen. I hope we'll have to bring on a, a new contender. But James, you know the rules. With the victory comes the spoils. 30 seconds. Talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. Good, bad, and different in the sport of mixed martial arts. Yeah, let's go back to this Curtis Blades thing. Dana White, what are you doing? You need more heavyweight contenders in that division. Why don't you praise Curtis Blades instead of going after him? I don't like that. Um, yeah, just uh, really like the card this weekend. Looking forward to this card uh, this Saturday. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of running out of stuff to talk about. I'm just so impressed with my uh, my victory here today. But uh, great, great fight, guys. Really enjoyed it. Uh, really enjoyed going back and forth with you guys. Uh, next time, we got to do it over some beers. If I can get out of this country, Trudeau, open up the border. Let's go here. Come on. I'm, I'm getting tired of sitting here at home. Uh, let's going to some events there you go jose you know sometimes we have we, we learn from defeat and we come back better than ever you know how do you feel after this after this decision i pride myself and not you guys know i can remember everything about anything in terms of mma and the fact that i forgot jeremy stevens is in the featherweight ranking still yeah i deserve to lose this one i'm not gonna lie like the i am as we all say worst critic the fact that i forgot something is going to bother me for a week and I'm not going to stop thinking about it. So I hope we get to run this back at some point so I can redeem my poor memory of poor Jeremy Stevens. Class act all the Fair way. Fair and square. He won. I, I, I could, if, if I had won, I still wouldn't have been happy. 
Yeah, this is one of those moments where I was just so happy that Casey made this decision and not me. So (laughs) that's why we put him in this position. But there you go. A new champion. Anything can happen. I'm between the links. It's like an old school WWF house show. Maybe a title will change hands. Maybe it won't. You got to buy a damn ticket to find out. But that's it. Another episode of Between the Links is in the books. We'll be back next week, Tuesday, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. These episodes drop, so make sure you subscribe on the YouTube channel. Wherever you're listening to your favorite podcast, you got lots of stuff coming up the A-side on Wednesday. We got What the Heck on Thursday. We got all your coverage for Saturday's events starting on Friday with the weigh-ins. And then just full speed ahead, heading into Fight Island, heading up in July. So for Jose Youngs, for the champ, James Lynch, big thank you to E. Casey Lydon, behind the scenes in the truck, Esther Lynn on the graphics. I am Mike Heck. We'll see you back here next week as we go back once again between the links. I was like, where the hell is it? (laughs) You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.